Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, Small Town Fam. Welcome to part two of One Dark Night. If you haven't listened to part one yet, you should go do that. You should definitely listen to part one before you listen to part two. For those of you who have listened to part one, here's a little recap to refresh your memories. Detective Justin is called out in the middle of the night to investigate a deceased subject named Larry, who's the self-appointed watchman at a community garden. Larry has been shot in the head, but there are no witnesses, no cameras around, and Larry doesn't have any known enemies. There's the possibility the killer is this guy named Damon, an out-of-towner who was arrested a couple of days earlier because he had warrants. Damon also had a gun on him, which law enforcement seized. But if Damon is the murderer, it means the timeline that detectives are mapping out for Larry's murder is way off. Luckily, a friend of Damon's calls the PD and says Damon called him over the weekend and told him he'd killed a man a couple of days before. And then another tip sends Justin and his team to a tiny coastal town several hours away from their jurisdiction. But even in that tiny town, Damon manages to stay one step ahead of law enforcement for quite a while. Here is part two of One Dark Night. Hi there, I'm Yardley. I'm Dan. I'm Dave. And I'm Paul. And this is Small Town Dicks. Dave and I are identical twins and retired detectives from Small Town USA. And I'm a veteran cold case investigator who helped catch the Golden State Killer using a revolutionary DNA tool. Between the three of us, we've investigated thousands of crimes from petty theft to sexual assault, child abuse to murder. Each case we cover is told by the detective who investigated it, offering a rare, personal account of how they solved the crime. Names, places, and certain details have been changed to protect the privacy of victims and their families. And although we're aware that some of our listeners may be familiar with these cases, we ask you to please join us in continuing to protect the true identities of those involved out of respect for what they've been through. Thank Thank you. you. So, Justin, a phone ping has you headed to the coast to find Damon. Correct. We know he's on the coast in our state. We know he's moving kind of up and down the coast, or the phone is, rather. The information we're getting is 
10 or 15 minutes, maybe an hour delayed, but it's more real time than Damon was here the day before. And so our goal is to find the phone. Worst case scenario, it's somebody that ran across Damon, let him use the phone to call his friend. We can find out what they may know. Best case scenario, we find the phone, we find Damon. And so we head back to the coast and kind of start over pounding the pavement. And so we spend seven or eight hours kind of chasing where this phone might be along the coast multiple different small towns looping in their local police departments for assistance and are just kind of striking out. It's even more frustrating because we're closer, but we're still just a step behind. At one point, we get information that they were at a McDonald's. We go to the McDonald's. Sure enough, they're on video at the McDonald's. But what's new about the McDonald's video is they have a parking lot camera. And that parking lot camera captures one car and only one car in the parking lot for the time frame that matches when the phone was there. Now we have a car, a vehicle description. And of course, it's grainy video and you can't see a license plate, but it's clearly a white or silver four-door sedan. It looked a lot like a Crown Vic that we're all familiar with as police officers, the old police car that everyone used for years and years and years. And so we have a type of vehicle to keep an eye out for as we're just circling this coastal community. And there are five cars made up of detectives from my small town. Like all of our resources are now committed to this search in this area. These are small towns and even smaller counties. And so they don't have a ton of assistance or resources to dedicate to us to assist in this search. And around and round we go and we stop and end up talking with a state patrol guy who, yeah, I heard about this. We mentioned the car and he goes, I saw two guys in the same kind of car and I ran the license plate. And so he's able to go back in his computer and look back and find the license plate of a car that matches the blurry security photo that we have. And he goes, I can't say that Damon was an occupant of the car, but I just know the look. And these two occupants, there were two people in the car. They didn't look like they belong in the area. And this is the license plate. Is it anxiety provoking that Damon may now be with someone else? Does that sort of up the ante a bit? It changes it. We now have another person to account for. Is this person dangerous to us? Is he going to help Damon fight the police or escape? Or is this person an innocent person that is being held against their will? We don't know. Right. And so does this car, once you get the license plate, it hasn't come up as stolen or anything? Nope. So maybe it belongs to Damon's passenger or his accomplice, whoever else is in that car with him. Exactly. We're able to look that up based on the license plate. And again, it's one of those things that doesn't yield any significant information to us. It's registered to a a gentleman that's about the same age as Damon. So probably the other male in the car, but we don't know that. And no one's seen a close enough look to confirm based on driver's license photo or anything like that. And so we now have an area, a vehicle color description, a license plate of the vehicle and recent sightings. And now we're still kind of chasing the phone information around. And that vehicle license plate doesn't return to an address in the coastal area that you guys have been north and south on? No, it actually returns multiple hours north of where we were at and not in the first coastal town we'd gone to. So it's another thing to add to the list for later as to pursuing where the car came from, who it belongs to. But yeah, nothing that would lead us to a house where, oh, it belongs four blocks away. We drive there and the car's sitting there. We had no such luck on this. 
So I'm picturing a game plan being devised. Is it just kind of like hide and go seek where you say, all right, let's start looking and everyone spreads out, goes in different directions. I'll take this neighborhood and I'm just going to drive the grid. Every street in the area, I mean, for a big city, that would be an enormous task. But in these smaller coastal towns, it's fairly reasonable to be able to do that. It is, especially in town. The size of the residential housing location isn't huge. It's not like you have blocks and blocks and blocks. And so you may have four or five streets in a grid shape that make up everything that's in town. Our concern was there's so many kind of coastal rural type properties where there's long driveways and we don't know where they're at, that if Damon was at a place like that, you'd never be able to just drive down there and check for the car without you know being discovered or seen. And Justin, you know, at this point, I mean, obviously you guys are just full bore on trying to find Damon, but you still have yet to receive any type of report as to whether or not his 45 caliber handgun matches the bullet or cartridge case found at the scene. Exactly. We haven't heard back. So what do you do in that situation? Do you wait until you have confirmation that Damon's gun is the one that killed Larry, or do you not have to wait for that? So my priorities are to the case, but also to the community. We have Damon outstanding. So I've got to weigh the value of, can I have an airtight case? You know, if I wait for that gun information to come back, if I waited two days to get the search warrant done off the lab to confirm it, that makes my case better. Absolutely. Would I like to have that information before I come across Damon? Absolutely. The problem I have though, is I still have a murder suspect running loose on the coast in my state. What else is he capable of? Right, right. So we now have a car, uh, we have a license plate, and we have some data as to where the phone has been that Damon called his friend from. And so as we're looking at this information, we're able to ultimately come up with a house in a nearby coastal town that the phone was at and has been at a couple times, it looks like. There's a pattern to it. And so we go by this house and we start running license plates of other cars that are at the house nothing super significant other than there's a female that has contacts in one of the vehicles and the name means absolutely nothing to any of us. But I look up a photo of her through DMV records and look at a driver's license photo and recognize this female as a person in Damon's Facebook pictures. Looks like a girlfriend or wife or some kind of significant other in quite a few photos. And then her car is at this house. And so, you know, store that away. You know, this house is significant and important. Could Damon be here? Maybe. We don't know. As we're doing this, we still get, you know, information that the phone is mobile and moving around. And so we kind of chase our tails a little bit. And then probably an hour and a half of narrowing down on this address, we see the pattern that emerges before the phone returns to that residence start to develop again. What do you mean a pattern? So some of the details we're able to get, not necessarily where they were going, but the direction they were headed or where they're at highway-wise, any number of other little things that were unique and weren't common for when they're just driving around town. And the light bulb, I think, collectively goes off in everyone working's head. Like, last time this happened, within five minutes, the phone ended up at this location. And so we beeline and send one of our unmarked vehicles by the house. And as they get there, this car that's on the McDonald's security footage is in the driveway, license plate matches, and for the first time, we're able to lay eyes on Damon at this residence. Fantastic. So you have the car and you have Damon with his tattooed widow's peak. 
Do you just run up and tackle him and put handcuffs on him? So that's the initial thought everyone has is let's just go grab our guy. Fortunately, we had kind of a powwow and part of the concern that we developed is in the yard of this residence were a bunch of children's toys, bicycles, playhouse, that type of thing. And so knowing that a female from Damon's social media likely lived there or is associated with that location and the chance of children being present, we didn't want to force an encounter at the location. We were relatively certain that we weren't compromised or he didn't know that we were actively pursuing him in town. And so rather than forcing any kind of encounter or confrontation at the house, a plan was formulated to wait, as we've seen several other times, for the vehicle to leave the house and attempt a traffic stop in order to minimize any threat. How long did that take? It was actually pretty quick after we formulated the plan related to all of our units, the county we were in had some deputies in the area that we were able to contact and coordinate with them. And so we had local resources present and aware, and we're actually going to use their marked units to conduct the traffic stop. Should a a vehicle pursuit or something ensue, they would be better off to chase the car than we were in unmarked vehicles in an area that we're not familiar with. And so within minutes of the plan getting finalized, two detectives from my agency see the two males get in the car and back out of the driveway the driver's the unknown male and Damon is in the front passenger seat and they back out and it's kind of a neighborhood with one way in and then one way out. And so they drive out the only way possible and end up with a marked sheriff's deputy pickup truck behind them traveling down the coastal highway in the small town. They go a little bit, a couple other units get in position, including myself, and we get to a kind of a gas station, um, hotel motel with the exterior doors, but it was primarily a bunch of buildings of cinder block construction, which would formulate a fairly decent backstop should shooting occur, but we're still right on the coastal highway. So not ideal, but the sheriff's deputy turns on his overhead lights and the moment of truth, like, how's this going to go? What's about to happen? There's several ways this goes and everyone's just kind of hanging on and waiting to see. car turns on its left turn signal, turns into the gas station parking lot and stops. And I remember having this thought of, well, that was easier than I thought it was going to be, but we're still not done. And we fan out behind the car and start a high-risk traffic stop with police officers in the door of their cars with guns drawn, giving commands. And we start with the driver because it's the easiest way to hopefully immobilize the vehicle. Driver's super compliant driver, we call him out of the car. He comes back, surrenders to us. No big deal. We take him back, hand him off to a couple of our detectives to go interview him. Unfortunately, the driver missed the direction of like, turn the car off and bring the keys with you. So the keys are still in the car and this car is still running, even though Damon's sitting in the passenger seat. So it's still mobile, could still take off. I halfway expected Damon to jump across the seat, get in the driver's seat of that car and take off at any time during this traffic stop. But that doesn't happen. Damon opens the passenger door and never really fully emerges from the car, but will look out and starts engaging verbally with us and kind of in a weird kind of surreal conversation, just in how calm he was. We just have to yell due to distance, but he's talking back and forth to me for a little bit. And we're having a pretty fruitful conversation. And really I'm able to 
start asking some questions about our case because he's not surrendering, but we get into, and Damon offers up on his own. I know why this is happening. It's because of the guy I shot in the garden in this small town. And that was like within two or three minutes of the driver getting out. Like I have a confession from my suspect sitting in the car. Now I still got to get him out of the car and arrest him, but he's starting to give details of what happened in the garden that I didn't even know at this point because I wasn't obviously there when it happened. And so he's providing insight into what happened while we're on this traffic stop. So Justin's just like his dad, Don Sr., in that they just get confessions in the first couple of questions they ask. (laughs) And the rest of us, it takes four or five hours, multiple breaks. Justin's like, how's your day going? I killed a guy in your town. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty much how it went. I mean, it shocked everyone, all the law enforcement kind of paused and looked at each other like, well, shit, that was easy. Like, (laughs) now what do I ask him? Like, that was going to be two hours from now in an interview room on tape. What do we do now? And so we keep talking and we spend... 20, 30, 40 minutes talking about the case. And Damon gives us the insight that he's walking through the community garden and is really not doing anything he shouldn't be other than he's in the middle of the night walking through the garden. And as he's doing so, he ends up getting confronted by Larry. And Larry asks Damon, what are you doing here? And Damon's response was to shoot Larry in the head. And that's all there was to it. That's it. That's it. That is fucked up. Does Damon give information related to where they were at at the time that he pulls his gun and shoots Larry in the head? He does. Damon's able to explain, and it's consistent with where the shell casing was, explains kind of where he was at when he fired the round, and it's within a few feet of where we found the shell casing kind of in the driveway. And he describes where Larry was at at the fence or gated portion to Larry's yard, if you will. Damon's nailing details that only someone that was at the scene when it happened could know and provide us. How far away is this shooting? 20, 25 feet. Um, It was fairly long distance considering where the impact was. The way Damon explained it was kind of just a reactionary and almost a lucky shot. And he just pulled the gun, pulled the trigger, and the bullet happened to hit Larry in the forehead. There's nothing in Damon's background to indicate that he is a highly trained sharpshooter, sniper type of individual. No, he couldn't make that shot again if he had to. And Larry then just drops where he's hit and happens to be leaning against this tree. Correct. Larry falls down. Damon goes about his night and explained to us that when he got arrested that next morning, by our patrol officers several blocks away and they found the gun on him. He assumed that we knew about what he had done and didn't fight the police at the time. And he's like, I'm not going to fight with you guys now. I wasn't going to fight with them that morning. But he goes, I was certain that they heard the gunshot and knew that I was the one that shot the guy in the garden and I was going to jail forever. And then next thing I know, they let me out. And so Damon is aware that his gunshot struck Larry and at least wounded him? Yeah. We confirmed during this traffic stop conversation with Damon that Larry was dead and he wasn't surprised by it. Um, It was the first time he knew for sure. You guys, your agencies, detectives and other agencies have Damon, who's still seated in the passenger seat. He's just got the door open, probably his feet slung out to the side like he's sitting on the edge of the passenger seat. You've got this place surrounded but he hasn't given himself up yet. 
Is he making movements that make you think that he's going to try a suicide by cop? Is he just saying, hey, give me some time. I'll give myself up. I just want a few more minutes. Damon is clear from kind of the beginning after telling us what he did. Damon was pretty resolute and I'm not going to jail, guys. And he made that statement several times throughout the time we were engaging with him. And so Damon was never aggressive about those statements. It was just really matter of fact, which is unusual. And just the calmness he said it with, he's resolute. Like, I'm not going back to jail. And so how that ends up playing out, you know, none of us really knew. But the thought in the back of everyone's mind, my own for sure, is that at some point, one of two things happens. Either Damon shoots himself in front of us, or he does something that's going to generate a response from law enforcement where we shoot him. Meanwhile, aren't you trying to get him out of the car and on the ground or something like the driver, and he's not complying? Damon is having a conversation with you, but he's not doing what you're asking him to do. Exactly. Uh, You know, we're giving him directions. Hey, put your hands up, get out of the car. Damon would just tell us, like, that's not going to happen, guys. I'm just not getting out of the car. Like there's times where everyone there, including Damon, laughed. And it wasn't a lighthearted moment, but it was just the circumstance was such that like there's comedy in what was happening because he was just, I'm not, I'm not getting out of the car. He was so matter of fact about it. Yeah. And so now we're in this negotiations phase. And fortunately, the command staff and supervisors that were down there from my agency, in addition to several of our detectives, were tactical team members or negotiations team members. And so they're able to leverage some of those skills to try to negotiate with Damon to surrender. And so we're working through that process and Damon gets hungry. He requests something to eat. We are within visual sight of a McDonald's. Um, Again, McDonald's, different McDonald's, but nonetheless. And he makes a McDonald's request for a double quarter pounder with cheese and French fries. And so we send one of our detectives to McDonald's to like, hey, go order Damon's food, bring it back, and then we'll use it as leverage or a show of good faith. And so a lot of times if you can build that rapport and build trust with the individual, you're able to get farther. And simply providing somebody with food might be all it takes. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey folks, Detective Dave here. Let me tell you about Simply Safe, the home security system that I trust to keep my family safe. I depend on Simply Safe to provide me and my loved ones with 360 degree coverage of my property and valuables. I love the variety of monitoring sensors available with Simply Safe Home Security. You get a glass break sensor, which in my experience is one of the most effective tools of detecting a break in. 
In addition, Simply Safe offers motion sensors, entry sensors, sirens, and flood and fire detection. With Simply Safe Home Security, I have the flexibility to use keypads at multiple entries at my house. This option is especially important to me and my family. I can provide access to people I trust and limit having multiple keys outside of my control, all at the push of a button via the Simply Safe app. It comes with a variety of cameras for indoors and outdoors. And best of all, Simply Safe is backed by 24-7 professional monitoring for less than $1 a day. It gives me peace of mind knowing I can leave the house, I can leave town, I can even leave the country, and I know my home is Simply Safe. The mobile app integration makes it so easy to make sure everything's in place in real time. I check it every day when I'm away from home. Simply Safe is the best. U.S. News and World Report named Simply Safe Best Home Security Systems 2024. And Newsweek ranked it Best Customer Service in Home Security. With Simply Safe, there are no contracts. And if you're not happy with the service or the product, they have a 60 day money back guarantee. Simply Safe has given me and many of our listeners real peace of mind. We want you to have it too. Right now, get 20% off any new Simply Safe system with Fast Protect monitoring at simplysafe.com/slash smalltown. That's simplysafe.com/slash smalltown. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Once you have the order in hand, now, as you say, you have some leverage, you have to get close enough to Damon in some way to hand him the meal. It seems unlikely that y'all would agree to put it down on the ground and allow Damon to come forward and get it. Or you're hoping that you can just put it on the trunk of the car and he'll come out of the car and surrender. Then he can have his meal. During this negotiation, do you know if Damon is armed or not at this point? So initially, we don't know. The yelling is getting annoying and difficult. And as any conversation, if you can just talk, you're going to be better off than shouting across the parking lot. And so I end up calling the cell phone number. And sure enough, Damon answers it. And so one, we've confirmed that that phone is present. And he relays verbally that he has a gun with him and says, you know, I'm not going to hurt you guys. I'm just, again, not going back to prison. And so we get off the phone and then to follow that up, he actually sends me text message photos of a gun sitting in the passenger seat of the car. It's a, a handgun sitting there. And then also verbally reports that there's a shotgun in the back of the car that he could get to. So we know there's a gun in the car. He's made the statement that he's not going back to prison. And so we're in this negotiations phase where we're trying to get him out. And for his safety, bystanders, ourselves, the last thing we want is for it to result in any kind of gunfire from any side. So we've procured this McDonald's order for him. And Damon's being demanding. um, And he kind of gets a little bit agitated that he's just hungry and we're not getting anywhere. And so law enforcement, we decide to provide him the McDonald's and build some good faith and make Damon a little bit more receptive to conversation. It's been hours at this point. So we decide to give him his food. And so Sergeant David rolls the McDonald's bag up into kind of a football shaped brown paper (laughs) bag with a double quarter pounder with cheese and French fries in it and throws this underhand rugby toss that lands at Damon's feet. (laughs) Perfect throw, doesn't spill a single French fry. Damon retrieves his food, opens it up, pulls the burger out. Damon takes a big bite and swallows and then looks back at us and screams at us, you had one fucking job. Who's the new guy that fucked up my last meal? Who is it? Who's the new guy? 
I wanted a double quarter pounder with cheese, and this is a Big Mac. You had one job, and you screwed it up. And then he proceeds to finish his Big Mac, but we'd gotten his order wrong. Totally unintentional, but he has this tirade where he realizes that, you know, the new guy, when in reality, the detective that went and got the food was a police officer for almost 30 years. I mean, he's nearing retirement. And so it wasn't the new guy screwing it up, but Damon made a show about the new guy messing up his order for all to hear. And again, there's kind of this moment where it's a very critical incident, but the comedy in that, like everyone there, including Damon kind of shared a chuckle over this because it was funny, especially in the moment. It was yeah, you did have one job and you messed it up. <laughs> well, he must have gone through the drive-thru, right? Yeah, they screw you at the drive-thru. <laughs> <laughs> but the other thing is, he says, this is my last meal. Yes, I was just going to say, that's a huge piece of information, no? Exactly. And so it furthers the thought process of how this is going to end. As comical as it was in one sense, it was ominous in the other. And there's several times Damon eats his food, still eats it all, even though it was the wrong order. But he, he finishes his food. And it kind of calms him down and does what you would expect. He's more conversational with us. And we, again, don't get anywhere. We're talking about his surrender. And he's like, why would I do that? I have no reason to. I'm going to go back to prison. I'm not doing it. We try to leverage family or children and none of that really works or gets us anywhere. And then a couple of times, Damon would get kind of tired of sitting and he's got the passenger side door open and Damon's sitting with his feet outside the car on the ground, kind of sideways in the seat. And a couple of times he would kind of shift his weight or he would stand up and kind of stretch just outside the car, but there's not enough distance where we could get to him or really affect any arrest. And he's certainly not surrendering. He's just stretching or, or shifting his weight. And so all the law enforcement there was aware that there's a gun on the seat and he'd make this like head fake reach into the car movement. Nothing would happen. And Damon would turn back to us and like, what, there's no new guys out there with an itchy trigger finger? Like he was baiting us into a shooting and nobody shot. Um, and he did that a couple different times. And he was almost disappointed after making that movement because again, Damon wasn't going back to prison, but I don't think he was able to get himself to the point where he could kill himself. And so he wanted us to do that for him. And he was hoping that movement would be enough to instigate an officer involved shooting. And there was dozens of officers on scene at this point and no one fired it. Was there anybody on scene that had any less than lethal rounds, like beanbag rounds or anything like that? So initially, the patrol assets from the county we were in would have had some of that. They weren't deployed at first, just from a numbers perspective. And then, you know, we're going on hours now. That sheriff's office jurisdiction, the incident was transitioned over to their tactical team. They called their team out, had to respond from their main city several hours away. And so the response took some time because they were bringing armored vehicles through country roads and stuff like that. And so they got there after several hours. And once that tactical team was on scene, they took over and absolutely had all those tools present and deployed in a manner that, you know, they were hopeful would resolve the situation peacefully. How did it resolve? So the tactical team took over the negotiation side of it, primarily on the phone from a negotiations command post away from the scene itself. And we're kind of having the same conversation with Damon that we'd already had. He explained what he did. It's just as resolute about not going back to prison and didn't really have any demands. Damon was just, matter of fact, I'm not going back. And so negotiations had broken down. We'd spent hours and hours and hours there with no real progress. And so ultimately a decision was made for the tactical team to shoot some tear gas through a window into the car with the idea that it would fill the car with 
a chemical agent, it'd be uncomfortable, and Damon would choose to exit the vehicle, hopefully without the gun. And so they move into a position to do that, and the tactical team deploy this gas round, and it impacts the car. And shortly after the impact happens, Damon reaches into the seat and then produces the gun for the first time in his hand. Um, and Damon ends up pointing the gun at the officers and an officer involved shooting ensues and Damon's shot several times. Does he survive? He does not. Um, three different officers fire rounds and Damon is killed instantly in this shooting. You guys often say that every suspect has a tell. Sometimes it's subtle and sometimes it's overt, like it is in this case with Damon when he says over and over and over that he's not going back to prison. That statement, that's a lot of information, particularly in a situation like this standoff. During the standoff, as well, he confesses to the murder that he committed in the garden. And so all of that makes you think that he supposes there's only one way that he doesn't go back to prison, and it's the worst, most final way there is. He even jokes about it when he says to you guys, you guys don't have any trigger-happy cops back there who are itching to put a bullet in me when I flinch and look like I'm going to reach for a weapon. So when he actually does pull the gun and point it at the SWAT team, he must have known what was going to come. Absolutely. Damon was trying early on to bait us into doing it sooner as he realized that our officers were not going to take the bait. He realized what it would actually take to generate the response from law enforcement. The district attorney down in this county that the shooting took place in there's a whole officer-involved shooting investigation, goes through a grand jury process down there and categorize this officer-involved shooting with the word inevitable. Like this outcome was inevitable. It was going to happen based on the statements and the totality of the circumstances. And it was just a matter of time. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. What was the unidentified driver doing while all of this negotiation is going on? The guy who was in the car with Damon. So he'd been taken down to the local police department of the small town we were in and interviewed about how he knows Damon and what Damon may have said. And he was 
at least claimed to be in the dark and knew nothing about what happened in the community garden. And he was just giving a buddy a ride. And as they got pulled over, there's a comment made as the driver was getting out by Damon that, like, see a man, this is it. And the driver gets out and remembers, like, that was kind of odd, but okay, I thought he might have warrants and it'd be no big deal and didn't realize kind of the significance of what was going on until law enforcement ultimately told him what had happened and why we were there looking for Damon in the first place. During the standoff in the parking lot, did Damon ever tell you why he spilled the beans to his friend from the other state? The guy who called you guys and tipped you off? No. He asked how we got his phone number because I had called him at one point and I made something up about, you know, we're the police, we get all sorts of stuff. And he kind of accepted that because I was still trying to guard some of the information I had and details I had and fully anticipating conducting an interview with Damon, you know, at the police department. And those are some of the details that I wanted to keep from him is that we talked to his friend and that I knew he told his friend what happened. Yeah. And so this house in the small town where you initially find Damon and this driver with the car. Did you guys ever go back and speak to the female who supposedly lived there? So we did. And turns out she was Damon's on again, off again, girlfriend had several children with him and he was trying to see her and the children before things caught up with him. And so he wasn't threatening to them, um, had no ill will towards them. They didn't know anything about what had happened. They kind of could tell that Damon was off and they weren't surprised that police were looking for him. They were surprised at why, but yeah, they were interviewed and had no bearing on our murder case at all. And did they know anything that had happened during the standoff or that there was a standoff? Uh, They were aware the proximity from where it happened to the house was fairly short. And so ended up blocking the coastal highway for hours and hours and hours. So they were aware of that. And fairly early on, once we had additional local resources, the sheriff's office sent deputies that way to touch base with her. You know, we didn't know who he was calling, if Damon was reaching out to her from the traffic stop, which he hadn't. But we had law enforcement personnel with her in case something like that did happen. That's some bombshell news to drop on somebody in that situation. Sure. Was Damon drug affected? Yes. At one point during the standoff towards the end, I don't know if Damon communicated it before he did it, but from my vantage point, you could see him smoking methamphetamine from a meth pipe in the car during the standoff. And I've got to button this up from the physical evidence standpoint is at some point you must get results back on the firearm. Does Damon's firearm get matched to the bullet and cartridge case from Larry's homicide? It absolutely does. Our crime lab gets wind of what happened and they call down like, hey, do you still want us to process this? Yes, I do. I need to know. But they're trying to triage their caseload and move somebody up the line, if you will. And so they call, and at least they call and didn't just do it on their own. And, hey, do you still want this done? I go, yes. The exigency is obviously gone, but if you'd please process that. And they do. And within a week or two, I'd gotten the results back and confirmed that both the slug and then the casing from the scene were fired from the gun that Damon was arrested with before we even knew there's a dead person. You know, part of when I get involved in cases, and I'm typically looking at cases that have already occurred and many decades afterwards, but, you know, post-offense behavior by the offender is something that I really pay attention to. And here, Damon is confronted by Larry, but from a distance away. It almost sounds like Damon could easily have walked away from this confrontation without ever pulling a gun and shooting at Larry. 
And then he doesn't stay in the area, but it doesn't sound like he's necessarily making great attempts to hide, you know, to flee. Is there anything in Damon's background that suggests that possibly he had other homicides, maybe out of state, and he just said, I'm done. I'm not going to go back to prison. And they caught up to me. Nothing that we found concretely. That theory was present on a couple locations that Damon had been where they had murder cases that were unsolved that by the timeline of where he was living at any given time, he could have been a potential suspect in, but nothing that we found where we connect a dot from somewhere else. Um, I also think he would have told us because of how absolute he was and those conversations we had. It was in effect Damon's deathbed confession to us. And he talked about some other criminal activity he'd been involved with, some we knew about. At one point, he confessed to a shoplifting that occurred in a town like three states away that like, thanks, but I don't care. (laughs) Talk more about the guy in the garden. But it was his moment to get anything like that off his chest. So I think he would have told us. Literally, Larry's homicide was in the moment. Damon gets pissed, happens to have a forty-five on him pulls it, shoots, and happens to just have a bullet go into Larry's forehead from 25 feet away. Yep. So let me add that the drive back from this small coastal town, I get into cell phone service after losing it, and I'm able to call Larry's family. And I was talking primarily with his son and relayed to his son that, hey, we caught up with the guy. We caught up with Damon. He was killed by law enforcement in an off-involved shooting. And explained a little bit of the details before he saw it on the news and, you know, names and stuff were going to end up becoming public in a day or two anyway, especially with the social media world we live in now. And so wanted him to hear it from us first. And he thanks me and appreciates the information. But our conversation ends with, did he explain why he killed my dad? And I still couldn't answer that question. Like it comes back to that why. I mean, there isn't a good reason. And Damon himself couldn't give us a good reason as to why. Did Damon ever say he was sorry? No. Justin, you know, you responded out to the homicide scene of Larry. You go back to the the station, you get 20, 25 minutes of, I mean, it's not sleep, but it's, I mean, you, you basically got a mental break. And then now you're on the hunt for Damon. Do you get much rest during that, you know, what was it, three, four days until the standoff? No. Um, the second night, was really the only full night of rest I was able to get throughout the whole case. And even that was, you know, your mind's racing and your some of the best ideas case-wise come to you and you're driving home or sitting in bed, you know, trying to fall asleep. But then after that second night of rest, it was kind of go, go, go. You're sleep deprived. And now you're at a situation where now the, the suspect is looking for suicide by cop. And then ultimately succeeds. Now, are you present at the time that Damon is killed? Yes. Yep. And is this the one and only time that you've actually seen somebody killed in front of you? Um, is it bad? Because I have to think about that. I don't know if that's a good or bad thing. Uh, short answer, <laughs> yes, from beginning to end. Obviously, I was involved in a shooting myself that ended up not being a fatal shooting. Um, but from, you know, watching from start to the end, yeah, it's the first time I've seen someone shot and killed in front of me. Well, like Yardley likes to say is that the job that law enforcement does is not natural. And so you're sleep deprived. You've been on the hunt for this guy. And now you're watching this guy 
In essence, he's being killed. This is not something that is natural to experience. How, when you think back on this, is there anything that you feel that has impacted you as a person going through it? Okay, the new guy asks heavy questions. I know. <laughs> I taught him well. <laughs> uh, um, no, one, that's a very good question. And not that I can think of, but I'm sure it has. And I think whether it's this or the shooting I was involved with or any number of a handful of cases that stick out to any of us, I think what bothers me the most about them is when I like talking about this or getting asked that question, nothing jumps out at me. And that's scary because it should. Well, you know, and that's where, at least in my experience, because, you know, I, I haven't been subjected to this type of dynamic, but other types of dynamics that aren't natural. Um, and then as I've gotten older, you know, those types of circumstances kind of rear their ugly head. And this is just part of working in this profession. But it's still not something that is normal for people to experience. And for those individuals like you, Dan and Dave, that are on the front lines and you are dealing with this, this has an impact moving forward. And it's maybe, you know, here we've got the story and you're dealing with a homicide, you're a homicide investigator, but you're also watching another person being killed. And that is trauma. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, as law enforcement and, and the world in general kind of progresses, I don't have a moment I can think back of being truly impacted by it. But the concept of trauma being cumulative and adding up over time, you know, and at some point the glass becomes full. I guess, fortunately, my glass isn't full yet. But what's to say that it's not going to become that way here sooner than later, or maybe it never will. Who knows? Well, I will tell you, when you turn 50, it will. <laughs> there <you laughs> That's <go>. what happens. <laughs> Justin, it's always such an extraordinary pleasure to have you on the podcast. You are true blue. Thank you so much. Not a problem. Anytime. I'll say this. Justin and I and Dave, we've all worked some big cases together. And Justin's one of my favorites. He's one of my favorite people I've ever met in law enforcement. And Justin and I went to the academy together. We were baby cops together. Really? Yeah. I get to go back next week. Oh, Justin gets to go to sergeant school, it sounds like. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sarge, I mean, the way that you approach this, the dedication, fundamentally, I think it really underscores that something that is thought of being a cut and dry, quick case at the beginning and how it can spiral to something where now it's consuming you and your life for however long it takes in order to make sure that the public is safe. And every step you took really underscores the professionalism and the dedication that you have to serving the public. So thank you very much. Well said. Thank you so much for bringing that to us, Justin. It is always a pleasure to have you on the podcast. You're welcome. Thank you. Small Town Dicks is produced by Gary Scott and Yardley Smith and co-produced by Detectives Dan and Dave. This episode was edited by Soaring Bajan, Gary Scott, and me, Yardley Smith. Our associate producers are Aaron Gaynor and The Real Nick Smitty. Our music is composed by John Forrest. Our editors extraordinaire are Logan Heftel and Soaring Bajan. And our books are cooked and cats wrangled by Ben Cornwell. 
If you like what you hear and want to stay up to date with the show, visit us on our website at smalltowndicks.com. Small Town Dicks would like to thank Speech Docs for providing transcripts of this podcast. You can find these transcripts on our episode page at smalltowndicks.com. And for more information about Speech Docs and their service, please go to speechdocs.com. And join the Small Town fam by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at at Small Town Dicks. We love hearing from you. And if you support us on Patreon, your subscription will give you access to exclusive content and merchandise that isn't available anywhere else. Go to patreon.com slash smalltowndickspodcast. That's right. Your subscription also makes it possible for us to keep going to small towns across the country in search of the finest, rare, true crime cases told, as always, by the detectives who investigated them. So thanks for listening, small town fam. Nobody's better than you.